Welcome to Stewardology, a podcast where two worlds collide. In this show, financial advisor Tim Russell and Reverend Drew Geisey come together to explore the intersection of financial stewardship and theology. Their unique perspectives help Christians and churches understand and apply a biblical framework for everyday financial decisions so Christians everywhere can improve and strengthen their walk with Christ through biblical stewardship. Before we get started, we just wanted you to know that the topics discussed in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific investment advice or recommendations. Investing and investment strategies involve risk, including the potential loss of principal. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities and advisory services are offered through Genios Wealth Management, member FINRA and CIPIC. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Tim Russell and Drew Geisey. I'm Tim Russell. And I'm Pastor Drew Geisey. And we welcome you to episode 97 of the, the Stewardology Podcast. Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking and even dissecting what causes a recession. But as we open this episode, I'd like to speak simplistically to what a recession does to the individual or the family. I did a little research, and I saw a website on Yahoo Finance, and they mentioned that during a recession, a lot of people tend to lose their jobs. For instance, in the last recession, more than 22 million people were laid off. People who keep their jobs during a recession may have their hours or commission rates reduced. Employers also tend to cut back on bonuses, raises during a recession. And also on moneycrashers.com, they said this. Also during a recession, there could be reduced income for those that continue to be employed. Reduced income leads to reduced entertainment, dining, extracurricular activities and expenses for them. People cut back on extras during a recession. So many families must make drastic changes to their pre-recession lifestyle. This means fewer trips, shared experiences, and missed opportunities because of a lack of funds. To say it simply, during a recession, cost of goods and services go up and employment may be challenging to keep. And those that do keep their jobs, there may be a reduction of hours worked or pay reduction to keep the company afloat or even just to keep their job. A recession messes with your income, your expenses, your daily life, as you probably even know it right now. But John 1633 says this, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, and in the world you will have tribulation. I'm going to stop there. Sadly, Jesus clearly stated that in this world that you will have trouble. This includes trouble of all kinds, including financial challenges, hardships, and potential loss of a job. At the end of this episode, we're going to look a little bit more into this passage of Scripture as related to recessionary times and its application to us today in these challenging economic times. So before we jump into our main topic, I want to put an offer before our listening audience, Tim. We've been talking about this for since the beginning of our, our podcast about personal stewardship reviews, mm, yeah. especially in these challenging times. This is a time to have somebody outside step in, take a look and kind of dissect through what you're doing, how you're doing it, and be that outside voice to help guide you in a better 
plan for you and your family. Am I right in saying that, Tim? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. For, for individuals who are looking to make sense out of their own financial realities, uh, maybe they're concerned about uh, upcoming recession and want to make sure that they've done all that they can to prepare themselves for it. Or, or maybe they're they're concerned they've done a lot of work. They've been a good steward. They've saved. They've been living on less than they earn. Uh, but now they've they've accumulated some assets and they're concerned about how do I manage it through this time frame with bonds being weird and stock market being down and the future being uncertain. How do I trust the Lord and still manage the assets he's given me? That is a perfect opportunity yeah. for us to have a conversation to to have a stewardship review, which is not a sales pitch. This is just an opportunity for us to help ask you some really good questions, allow you to ask us your hard and, and, and important questions to help you become an even better steward so that you know what to do. And the reality is, yeah, at some point you may say, hey, I can do this on my own and let me let me take care of it. On the other hand, some of you may say, you know, I, I, I need some help, Tim or whomever, can, can you help me? Uh, and that's something that we can we can evaluate on a case-by-case basis. Getting a second opinion outside of your own head Never is hurts. always a good choice. Never hurts. So let's jump into our topic. We want to talk about what causes a recession. So there's some terms that we kind of put together that we want to discuss. Yeah. And one of the key terms that you want to start off with is a bear market. So Tim, what is a bear market? Yeah, I, I think it's helpful for us to start with understanding what a recession is as as it relates to another thing, what is a bear market. Uh, I think that we, we often confuse those two things together. Like, for example, we often confuse the stock market with the economy. And I've done that in a couple episodes. And it's okay, but that that's a common confusion. Yeah. So, so the stock market, what happens on Wall Street is not the same as what happens within the economy. Yeah. So, how do we see this? A bear market, commonly that's that's understood when a market has declined 20% from its prior highs. Okay. So if it was at uh, 1,000 or 10,000, it's down to 800 or uh, 8,000, 8, right? That, that That's a 20% decline from its high. That happens regularly. Bear markets, they they tend to happen every three to four years. Really? We'll, we'll that often? Market. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. In fact, it's it's very common within any given year that you're going to see uh, the, the market be down anywhere from 10 to 15%. That's not uncommon. Now, okay. that's not the same as a recession. Right. We have bear markets more commonly than we have recessions. So just because the stock market's not happy doesn't mean the economy has slowed. So so if if a bear market is not the same as a recession, what is a recession? Yeah, exactly. That's that is a very good question. So we put that before you Tim. Explain in good layman terms, what is a recession? A, a recession is a significant economic slowdown. Now that it's measured by the National Bureau of Economic research, the mm. NBER. That's a mouthful. Yes, really. Uh, they declare really when we are in a recession. They're the ones who keep 
the the word and it, or the only ones who are really allowed to apply the word in any official format. They're a nonprofit resource organization that tracks changes to the business cycle that includes trying to judge when there are recessions. They determine when recession starts by measuring a number of various indicators. So one of the indicators is GDP. That stands for gross domestic product. Explain what that is, Tim. So uh, if you are going to measure all of the economic output of an economy, Mm. that's all of the revenue that companies generate within the country or all of the, um, the the income earned by individuals or the spending by the government, all of those things are components of the gross domestic product. Okay. And again, again it's, it's kind of like if you look at your tax return and you see that bottom line figure says adjusted gross income, think of it. It, 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 obviously, it's, it's not a personal thing, but it, it's kind of similar to uh, our adjusted gross income. It's it's how much income, how much revenue did the, the, the entire economy generate. Okay. Historically, it has been when we have two consecutive declining GDPs. So we have Wait, GDP consecutive, is, how, is quarters. Okay, quarters. So it's three months. So essentially, if you have six months of declining economic output, historically, that's been how we determine what a recession is. They, they've updated the definition. So it's a decline in real GDP. Mm-hmm. It is a decline in real income. So they'll mm-hmm. be measuring income broadly within the, the society. Notice income is a component of GDP. It's not the same thing. So if income has a substantial hit, that's going to have a problem. If there's a rise in unemployment, if there's stagnation of industrial production mm. or retail sales, so if if industry and, and commerce is not producing like it used to, that could indicate a, de- a recession and a decline in consumer spending, which again is a subset of that last one we just talked about, industrial output or industrial production and retail sales. So that is all the makeup of the classic recession. Yeah. So Tim- They have a formula, right? They, they measure all of these things. And if sure. it shows up that it's a decrease, then they'll say, hey, it's a recession. Here's what you need to know. You are not going to find out if you're in a recession- until well after it started. Yeah. Why? All of these things are lagging indicators. Explain what that is. A lagging indicator is an indicator that tells you what happened in the past. Mm. So it doesn't tell you where you are right now. It says last year or last quarter that happened. So GDP looks at the past quarter and says, how much did we do? If you look at our income or unemployment, again, those are all past. There have been times where the economy is moving so quickly, those past or lagging indicators aren't really keeping up with what's actually happening today because things are evolving so rapidly. Mm. That was actually what was happening during COVID. COVID, we were declared to be in a recession 
but it was a recession that was declared very, very soon. And it was entirely because all of these other metrics Mm -hmm. triggered. We didn't have to wait for GDP to show up. We could say, Hey, unemployment is, is crazy. Outputs drawn to a minimum. Consumers are not spending anything right now. Therefore we declare a recession. Mm -hmm. Of course it was the shortest recession on the books. I think it was like two months. Wow. So it was an incredibly short recession, but we're going to get into all that a little later. So let's pivot. What actually causes a recession, Tim? Generally speaking, expansion and growth in an economy, it can't last forever, right? Trees don't grow to the sky. Nope. So at some point, the expansion cycle comes to an end. I use the word cycle. In in the economy, we have economic cycles. We have expansion, peak, contraction, trough, expansion, peak, contraction, trough. We go through this wave-like cycle mm-hmm. where economy or businesses are doing really well, then businesses seem to peak out and everyone gets really excited and thinking that this is just the beginning of this new, you know, roaring 20s and mm. and then of course what happens is the market tends to stall and and pull back and not just the market, the economies, spending starts to slow down. There are always triggered by specific instances or factors. So uh, let me say it another way. Significant decline in economic activities usually triggered by a complex interconnected combination of factors. Okay. Okay. So what are some of those factors? So, there are a number, and I'm looking at Business Insider, Personal Finance. They have um, what is a recession. We have the link in the show notes. They actually indicate a number, and I, I did some poking around, and these generally seem to be consistent, and they make sense in my mind. The first factor would be an economic shock. So a good example of an economic shock would be, oh, I don't know. The governments of the world shut down all of the businesses for a virus. Oh, did that ever happen? Never, never. <laughs> well, that that is a economic shock. Yeah, we have surely. to lay off millions of people. Yeah, um, businesses start slowing down dramatically, yeah. and it becomes a massive economic shock that an economy, generally speaking, cannot just absorb on its own. This can happen when there is a natural disaster or a terrorist attack, these things can create their own kind of uh, a shock to the economy. Right. A second factor might be loss of consumer confidence. When a consumer is worried about the state of the economy, and more, more specifically, when they're worried about the state of their own personal or family economy, Mm. uh, whether their job is stable, their industry is stable, or that their income will remain stable, they're going to reduce the rate at which they're spending. They're generally going to increase the amount that they're saving. And that is a demonstration of a reduction in consumer confidence. Because close to 70% of our GDP depends on consumer spending, any amount of reduction in confidence is going to have an impact on our economy. So the loss of consumer confidence is directly correlated to the consumer spending. Am I correct in saying that? Generally speaking. Okay. I don't know that it's it's directly and in every case. Okay. 
But that is the, the normal correlation. So people that are concerned of what the next days look like, they usually pull back, hold back, don't spend because they're concerned. Yeah. That is a factor that they actually build into this. You, you can think of it. I don't watch horror movies, so, you know, Neither forgive me. If, if you, if you, if you think this is a terrible example, uh, you, you, generally speaking, you hear someone, you know, in, in these movies and they're about to go into the, um, the shed or the, the barn that's got all the meat hooks and all the chains and everything. And, like and, that and commercial you know, with all the chains. Like the lightning striking and it's raining outside and you know, don't go in, there, don't go in there. Yeah. You know, you have this anxiety and for you and me, the normal person sitting here watching this, this thing, you know, it's a terrible idea to go into that location. Absolutely. However, so th- that's like, that's the normal correlation. You have a terrible feeling that the economy is not doing well. Therefore, you're not going to go and and spend money that you don't want or don't need to spend. However, there are always those those idiots like in the movies who, against their better judgment, go downstairs when they hear the noise right. or enter the barn when yeah. when they they see the lightning strike and the, the everything else happening and there's hooks and chains and all kinds of scary things there. What's another factor? Okay, so the the two factors so far, economic shock, a loss of consumer sentiment. The third one would be high interest rates. When mm. interest rates spike, th- the government, the the Federal Reserve, the Fed is increasing rates for a specific reason. They want to slow down economic activity. That is an intentional hit to our our economy. Yeah. Why would they want to do that? If the economy is overheating, if it's too good, too strong, we're going to have inflation growing at too high a pace. Therefore, we increase interest rates. That's going to increase the cost of borrowing money. Therefore, people are going to be more akin or more likely to save rather than to spend on credit. Right. And that is going to slow down economic growth. Talk about another. That's exactly where we are right oh, now. That's what's, That's currently one of the big factors that's hitting us. The, this, the next factor is deflation. So I said high interest rates. Typically, that's to tamp down inflation. That is absolutely a thing. But the inverse is also true, that deflationary concerns can cause a recession. Uh, what is deflation? Well, deflation is it's the opposite of inflation. It's when the the cost of goods declines over time. Mm-hmm. Well, there have been a number of times when we have seen deflation, and deflation is is problematic because companies have to keep on lowering their their costs and they, they can only lower their costs so much without laying off people. And right. then if they're laying off people, maybe they're reducing uh, incomes and salaries and they're doing any number of things in order to maintain competitive, the, the right. competitive edge deflation is devastating to inv- individuals with fixed loans. Their, their loan payments don't deflate, but their income could. Yeah. So deflation can also be a problem for our economy. And the last one is an asset bubble. When uh, two modern examples, um, you probably remember if you're old enough, back in the, the turn of the late 90s, early 2000s, if you had a dot com at the end of your name, oh, like yes. pets.com or, you know, I don't know, chiaseeds.com, you 
got million dollar multiples uh, or million dollar valuations applied to your your company, you could go public and people would throw money at you like, you know, you were the next Warren Buffett. Right. And of course, that bubble popped and people lost a tremendous amount of money. We can see that with the 2006 and seven asset mm-hmm. bubble with real estate. Yeah. The real estate market got way overheated. The lending uh, environment was, was really foolish risk seeking behavior, which caused the home values to not be able to be sustained at that high level. Exactly. Therefore they imploded. Mm-hmm. Some say, well, is, is our current housing market a, housing asset bubble. And I would suggest uh, probably not. Right. Probably not. The lending standards have been still relatively speaking much stricter than they were back in the day. And it's not a speculative bubble. It is a supply demand. I I was just going to say that I read an article about that. It's all about supply and demand. Yeah. So uh, because of actually the, the 2007, eight and nine recession, we've had a significant reduction in the amount of new homes that are even being constructed. So we have all of these new families being created every year and not enough homes to satisfy these, these new family creations. Yeah. And that's obviously going to cause us a, a, a problem. So we have an asset bubble. Some, some would say uh, Bitcoin or, or cryptocurrencies could be an asset bubble. And we've seen, we've seen that some this of year. those, some of those valuations declined very similar to what the markets declined in some cases, even more. Yeah. Um, crypto could be down 50 to 60%. Yeah. Again, some companies are down very similarly, if not more. Yeah. Well, Tim, we've looked at that, but let's have a little bit of a history lesson. Let's look at one of the things you wanted to bring up is a discussion about the past 14 U.S. recessions. Well, now, I'm, I don't yeah, think we're going to look at all 14, 14 no. but can you kind of categorize it and and talk about some of these factors that are built into this? A few I'm going to cherry highlights. pick a couple of them. And there's a great article. It'll be linked on our show notes from Investopedia that kind of walks us through. Actually, there there are a, f- a few of them. There's one from CNBC that I thought was fantastic. Uh, and that was, uh, what does it say? How many recessions have there been, um, you know, going through time? And it's really interesting to see what they show us because recessions are common. Here's Here's what I want you to know. It's not if there is a next recession, it's when. Yeah. We've said that several times on this podcast. I should probably be saying it more often. The markets don't just go up. Economies don't just keep on expanding. When there is a recession, often there there is a typically there is a significant market decline. And that is going to have an impact for all of us when we're invested in the markets and we see the markets go down. So let's let's talk about a couple. The, the most recent recession that any of us have likely experienced is this COVID recession. The COVID recession was the shortest recession of all time. Uh, I believe it lasted for all of two months. Three. If, two, February, three March months. March and April of, of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> very, very small. Um. Actually, the according to the Investopedia article, it says it lasted two months, February through April, February, mm. March, April. Yes, 
I guess it's it, they say February, March, and April, but the way they count, it's like midway or gotcha. most partly way through February and sure. ended early in March. Go figure. Anyway, uh, that was a significant downturn, and we all know the reason. COVID, COVID. government shut down everything. That'll cause a recession. Sure. Uh, That was a man-made recession. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so you could say, well, no, it was was a virus. Yeah, it was a virus, but I'm not... This is is a hot take, and a lot of people probably aren't going to agree with me, but I don't think that was the right way to handle... um, that particular virus. Yeah. And so we have that. There was a government shutdown of things, but then it was also the government ended it because they put out massive stimulus. Am I correct in saying that? They sure did. Yeah. So the government stimulated our way out of that recession, which is what's causing this recession. And I say this recession, (laughs) we're not technically, as of the recording of this podcast, in a recession. It's possible when this podcast goes live, they could declare that we are in a recession. Here's the thing. You aren't going to know that you're in a recession until you've been in it for several months. Until you've been in it, exactly. And that's going to be the case this time. When they finally announce, hey, we're in a recession, we're probably closer to the bottom of the stock market than we are at the top by the time they declare it. That's not a time to sell. That's probably a good opportunity to look for companies or or investments that are significantly off their their prior highs mm-hmm. that may be a good long-term hold. Yeah. Especially from this low point cuz the market will recover. What's another recessionary time? Okay, so the one before that was the great recession. This is from December 2007 through June of 2009. Yeah, I remember so that. 18 months, 18 painful months. Yeah. This was caused by a number of different things, much of it related to lending and banks. Yeah. So banks were doing or lending companies were doing these no-doc loans that the financial regulations and safety measures in place for making sure companies a don't get too big to fail or don't have are holding assets that are are toxic or valueless or worthless. Uh, was not as strict as it is now. So we went into this time frame where we had a significant global financial meltdown, a major bear market. Markets declined 57% from the highs to the lows. It was the worst recession since uh, the 1930s. It was a big stinking deal. It was no fun. We also had during that time the um, Occupy Wall Street moment where there was all kind of anarchist behavior, Mm -hmm. uh, socialist behavior towards any kind of uh, capitalism. Right. There was concern. I mean, I can remember sitting in in our in our conference room with our investment committee here at the Life Group thinking about uh, whether or not we needed to – you know, start wearing bulletproof vests and, you know, flak helmets and things wow. like that. Because, you know, fortunately f- where we were there, there weren't any, any issues or problems, but one could see things starting to un- unravel quickly. Yeah. It was a scary time, but of course it was around that time. The market decided, you know what? I'm done. Let's just go back up yeah. without any reason, without any government stimulus, th- I say without any government stimulus, and I have to caveat, the government had stimulated a lot during this time and after this time, but when the market hit its low on that day and in that week, there was no particular news event. There was no particular government thing that was the pivot point. 
there was a significant, as we said, a 57% decrease in asset values. Mm -hmm. There was all kinds of opportunity. And all of a sudden people with money on the sidelines said, okay, we're in. I think I'm. I think I want to. I want to buy some some really attractive assets at these really low levels. And from there, we had the foundation of a twelve or more year long bull market. Yeah. One of the biggest bull yeah. markets that we've had in a long time. You mentioned the dot dot com crisis a few moments ago. Uh, that's part of this whole yep. picture. Yep. So give yep. it eight another. months. So. This is a really interesting one to demonstrate that a recession and a bear market are not the same thing. And I had to go back and look at the data when I was doing my study of this time frame because my memory of the stock market during that time and, and what I'm seeing the actual declaration of the recession was does not match. Hmm. So the actual recession was from March of 2001 through November of 2001. That's only eight months. GDP declined by 0.3%, not a huge GDP. We had a peak unemployment rate of 0.5 or 5.5, not a big deal. And a lot of this was caused by asset bubbles. So the stock market hit its peak in 2000, early 2000. Um, when we realized that um, the Y2K, remember Y2K? Oh, I remember it Y2K, well. we were concerned about yep. computers with a binary two code. Exactly. Or two digit year. You know, we get to 99, we go to zero, zero. If they didn't have two, zero, 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 make it four digits instead of two digits. Yeah. We, we have all of the computer systems around the world crash. So we spent a tremendous amount of money preparing for Y2K. And then all of a sudden Y2K happened. It was a complete non-event. Yes. And all of this, the spending ended up catching up with the, the markets. And we were going into a time frame where asset bubbles because of the whole dot-com thing was extremely high. So people started saying, you know, we need to start taking risks seriously. The Fed started increasing interest rates. We've got a variety of things that were hitting that all of a sudden we said, you know, markets are declining. During this decline, during this recession, we had the uh, September 11th. Oh, yeah. Interestingly, it happened in September. The recession ended in November. That is interesting. You would, you would think that, you know, we knocked down two of the biggest trade towers in the world in New York City. We have this massive attack on the, the economic heart of the world right. that that itself would cause a recession. It didn't. Believe it or yeah, not, yeah, you would think we it would were already further. in recession, and in if anything, the the military engine dealing with rebuilding and going after Osama bin Laden mm -hmm. and the Taliban was one of those things that helped to kind of propel us through it. But you know, what was interesting: the stock market declined from the year two thousand to the year two thousand three. That was its low, really. That was a long slog where markets were just sliding around, mm. not doing a lot. They were going down, um, not in a straight line, but it was definitely a concern. So keep that in mind. It, yeah. This bear markets is not the same as a recession. The recession ended in 2001, but the bear market kind of kept on going. It took a while for us to work our way through that. And the NASDAQ, the tech-heavy NASDAQ, that didn't recover for a long time 
Mm. I, I think that the the Nasdaq really never recovered its pre-recession highs until it was probably somewhere in the the teens. Wow. The the yeah two thousand teens. So there's one more history area that we want to take a look at, and I actually remember this one well. Do you? I do. What's that? The inflationary time, the recessionary time that happened in uh, 81, 82 in that, in that area. Mm. Well, interesting. So this is actually going back to a time when we had what's called a double dip re- recession, a double dip recession. So a double dip recession is where you have a recession that starts and then ends. Mm-hmm. And then shortly thereafter, we have another recession. There was a very big concern that after 2008, we we're going to have another double dip recession when the U.S. credit got downgraded and the, the markets weren't doing so well. Ended up being overrated. We, we did fine. Um, but we did have a double di- digit recession during uh, the, the early 80s. So I, what I happened here? It. So we'll start in 1980, January 1980. By the way, it, you may be you may chuckle to know this. I was uh, in my mother's womb when all of this stuff was going on. Wasn't born till October 1980. Yes, you can send your presents too. Um, so <laughs> we have the Iranian situation, the Iranian yeah. hostage negotiations, and, and all of that craziness, as well as Paul Volcker, the 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 chair of the Fed, was attacking inflation in a very, very serious way. And he was raising interest rates to well into the teens. Yeah. Mortgage rates were nearly 20% mortgage rates for a period of time there. It was, people are wincing at five, 6% mortgage rates today. Think about 20%. I remember gas and oil prices going through the roof because I got my license in 79, I think it is. And just when I started driving, all of a sudden, slam, big expense for gas. Well, so that, that kind of takes us into the second, the double digit or the double dip recession. We were able to eventually work our way through that recession. It didn't last a tremendously long time, six months. The next recession lasted 16 months, and it started in July 81 mm-hmm. through November 82. And that one was largely fueled by all that was going on with oil prices yeah. and inflation still out of control and interest rates at ridiculously high levels. The federal funds rate, get this, right now the federal funds rate was just moved earlier this year from zero to I think it's like one and a half. <laughs> Back then it was 19 Seriously? The federal funds rate was 19%. Paul Volcker had to move it that high in order to get control of inflation. He was vilified. In hindsight, many many individuals and historians credit him for having a a keen insight to know how to break the back of inflation. Mm. It was incredibly painful to go through that process, but it was also, according to many, absolutely necessary it's like slamming on the air brakes and almost hitting the windshield is what he did but it worked yeah so it 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 caused tremendous amount of problems for many individuals during that time frame sure short-term pain long-term good that did also then create the pathway for us to have a significantly strong 80s and 90s 
much of that some people are crediting, and I would tend to agree with them, to what Ronald Reagan did with various tax reforms right. that he instituted back in the early 80s as well. So mm-hmm. there were a number of things that kind of helped us pull us through that time frame. So Tim, what's an, you've, you've had all these different time frames. What's an average length of a recession? Well, so keep in mind that we've had 37 recessions since 1857. 30, I said 37, 34 recessions since 1857. They average or they they vary in length from two months, right? This most recent one during COVID to five years. There was a five-year recession back in the 1800s. I wasn't around then. No. (laughs) You look, no, just kidding. Uh, Just kidding. He's not that old. Uh, Close. We have the average recession lasting about 17 months. Really? With six recessions since 1980 that lasted less than 10 months. Okay. So that's, so there's hope in going through all this journey. Now we're, we're using this term recession. Talk to us about what turns a recession into a time of depression. Yeah. What's the difference between a recession and a depression? Yeah. If we, we say that a recession is too consecutive quarters of economic slowdown. And again, that's an overly simplified definition as we talked about it earlier in this podcast. Uh, You know, a a depression tends to be longer and deeper than a recession. We, We have had really only, to my knowledge, one major depression and that was in the 18 or 1920 or 30s, 1930s. Was it 1929 to 39? I thought it was a ballpark of around 10 years, if I'm correct in saying that. Yep. Yep. So I remember talking to my grandparents about this and how difficult it was for them because they were in their 20s and 30s during this period of time. So I I mentioned a couple things, right? The length of time is much, much longer. So a recession... On average, we said 17 months, and six most recent, the average, it's about 10 months, Mm -hmm. the length of recession. A depression, like the one we had back in the the 30s, lasted for nearly 10 years and involved nearly 26% unemployment rate. Ouch. One out of four people was unemployed. We talked about bread lines and the Dust Bowl and all kinds of of problems during that time frame, much of which was caused by economic mismanagement. May cause some of you some concerns because, you know, you look at the government saying there's some economic mismanagement going on. Sure. Perhaps, but a lot of the the mismanagement were, were systemic things that have been fixed in the wake of or since the Great Depression, um, which is why the Great Recession was not another Great Depression, mm. because we did address a number of the the fundamental challenges facing our economy. So what's the difference? Length and severity. The longer a recession goes, the more likely it will become a depression. The more severe a recession is, the more likely it will be a depression. You need both length and severity. You can't just have a really long one and call it a a depression. It's not. You can't have a really severe one and call it a depression. I I think the unemployment rate during during COVID was was close to that 
you know, 25%, 26% number was huge. However, it wasn't anything like as long. Therefore, because you didn't have both components, we don't have a depression. It's interesting that you bring that up. And you also bring up that it's that length of time and the factors you said since the since the Great Depression, our government and our financial industry has kind of changed some things up so that it's not as likely for us to fall into that same period of depression again. Am I correct in saying that, Tim? Yeah, I would I would say so. So but it doesn't say it's not going to happen, but it's unlikely because of some of the safeguards that have been built in since those days. Yeah, I mean the risk is that no one knows what the next cause is going to be. There's always going to be a cause. Right. And, and there are ways in which things are becoming so complex, maybe we're we're losing our ability to get our handle Mm. on some of these these factors. So nothing's a guarantee, but I, I am grateful that we have addressed a number of the excesses right. that have led to previous disasters. And it's, this, it's good to come to this point and realize there's no guarantee of tomorrow, the future, and especially of our income and pieces. And we need to, we need to be good savers because difficult times you may need to be able to pull from some resources that you have. Yeah, we've we've hammered this drum throughout this podcast, but the best way to prepare yourself for a recession is to have reserves and live on less than you earn. Tim, how simple is that? It's it is absolutely that it's that hard, but it's also that simple. It is. Have reserves, grow your grow your cash reserves. Yes. And live on less than you earn. You can recession proof yourself to a certain extent, to a certain not, not extent. a guarantee. Right. You can recession proof yourself by having reserves and and get paying down your debt. Yeah. If, if you lose your job and you have no car loans, no credit card bills or debts, that's a lot easier for you to survive than someone who has a mountain of debt behind them as well. Yeah. That the creditor does not care that you lost your job. They're going to knock on your door, call you on the phone, whatever they got to do because they want their money in those times. Yeah. Yeah. So. so Another thing to keep in mind here, we have talked about First Timothy chapter 6 so many times in this podcast, but in the middle to the end of that chapter, he says, charge those who are rich not to be haughty, not to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but to trust in God who richly provides us all things to enjoy. When we think about recessions, when we think about bear markets, we see what Paul was talking about with the uncertainty of riches. Yeah. We need the things in this world matter. What happens to the economy matters. What happens to you and your budget matters. But if that's all we focus on, we're focusing on uncertain riches. Well said. Remember to do what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6 to to trust in God, to be rich in good deeds, ready to share, storing up for yourselves that which is truly life. Yeah. Well said. Let me, as we kind of wrap up here, pivot and bring back what we started with. In John sixteen thirty three, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But there's a second part to this verse. 
and it says this, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. Through our difficult and challenging times, we see here that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, knows and understands what we are going through. He boldly proclaims that he, not anyone else, but he himself has overcome this world. This overcoming would include all of the challenges, the hardships, the financial struggles, the work-related problems that we have or that we ever will face. He knows and he understands. But as we close out, I want want you, our listening audience, to continue to be strengthened in your faith, in trusting God, and specifically in trusting in His living Word, which contains many, many promises towards us as we journey through this life. Here's just a few verses by way of reminder in these financially challenging days that we're in. Philippians 4.19 says this, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Let me, let me read Matthew 6.26 to you, which says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then Matthew 6, 31 and 32. Just a little later in the passage. Yeah, just a little later on. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. In these financially challenging times, remember these basic, simple things. Pray. Pray that the Lord will provide for you and your family's needs. James 4.3 says, When you ask and you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. If you're asking for the Lord to provide, and you're not using your finances wisely, you're according to this verse, spending it on foolish pleasures, on foolish things, then why should he provide more? He already has provided, and you possibly are not being a good steward. Take a look at what you're doing with with resources that you have. Process this in your spending. And second, trust God that he will provide for your needs, just like the birds of the air. Trust him that he will help you make that money last through that month. Tim, you have a saying that you like to say. Yeah, it's when... uh... There's more month left at the end of the money. Yeah. And we want to make sure that you have more money left at the end of the month. I want to close out with an illustration on trust by Robert Sutton. And Robert Sutton said this, a television program preceding the 1988 Winter Olympics featured blind skiers being trained for slalom skiing. Impossible as that sounds. Paired with a sighted skier, the blind skiers were taught on the flats how to make right turns and left turns. When that was mastered, they were taken to the slalom slope where their sighted partner skied beside them shouting, left, right. As they obeyed the commands, they were able to negotiate the course through and across the finish line. Depending solely on the sighted skier's words, it was either complete trust 
or a catastrophe. What a vivid picture of how we ought to trust God and his word in these challenging recessionary times. Mm, In this world, we are in reality blind to what is to come. We are so blind and how we are also blind in how to respond to these challenging financial times because we may have never had to navigate these. Some of our, the younger listeners that we have, they've not had these financial challenges. So as seen in this illustration, you and I ought to trust God and his promises that are found in his word that speak loudly to us. He is the one that sees tomorrow as clearly as we see this moment. And as we trust and lean into him and his word, God himself will give us not only the direction as the skiers, the the person along the, the blind skier did, but he will also supply what we need to get there. So this has been a fantastic discussion today to think through what exactly is a recession, what causes a recession. In our next episode, we're actually going to go a little deeper. We're, we're going to talk about now, what do you do in a recession? Specifically, how do you invest during recession? Should I continue to invest when the stock market is down? All of these things are items that we will continue to address. So please, what does that mean? <laughs> that means please subscribe. Subscribe on your podcast catcher so you don't miss any of our content uh, so that you get to hear this helpful information. Also, I encourage you to leave your questions and ideas for us. Go to stewardologypodcast.com slash idea to share with us your questions for future, possible for use in future uh, episodes, as well as any constructive feedback and comment you may have for us. Take advantage of your free personal stewardship review. Go to stewardologypodcast.com forward slash review. And remember, please rate and review this podcast. That is incredibly helpful for individuals to find this content so we can help you and everyone become an even better steward of all of their assets. All right. Until next time, take care. God bless. And don't forget, trust in the Lord, trust in God, not in the uncertainty of riches. Thank you for joining us on the Stewardology Podcast, where financial stewardship and theology meet. We'd like to help you take your next steps in biblical financial stewardship. First, subscribe in your podcast provider to get the newest episode delivered to you every week. Next, follow us on social media and visit our website at stewardologypodcast.com. There you can find our social media links and our entire episode archive. Remember, Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. See you next week on the Stewardology Podcast. Securities and advisory services offered through Genius Wealth Management, member FINRA and SIPC.